Hello everyone, welcome back to Randeep's In the House for another episode hosted by me, Randeep Sarai, your Member of Parliament for Surrey Centre. One of the biggest topics of discussion moving through the House right now is Budget 2021. This is the latest federal budget that the sitting government, which is us the Liberals, introduced this April. This budget has made news by being the most comprehensive and largest budget allocated in Canadian history, which is something that we have been very proud of. The unfortunate side effect of a comprehensive and complex budget is that it can be difficult to understand exactly what parts of the budget are actually affecting your lives and the lives of those around you, as well as how they will affect you. That's why I've decided to dedicate the next few episodes to go over specific sections of the budget and break those down to fully understand what exactly is being done for those people and sectors. To make things a little more interesting, I'm going to be bringing on a person who is particularly interested in that sector to ask me questions about it. For this week, we'll be covering how Budget 2021 affects young Canadians. And here is the interviewer today is Harkarn. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we can get it started. Thank you for that, MP Sarai. Hello, everyone. My name is Harkarn. Uh, I'm a second year student at UBC Sciences right now and thank you Randeep for bringing me on to talk about this today. Obviously as a stakeholder, uh, being a young Canadian myself, I'm particularly interested to see what we have in store for Budget 2021 and uh, how it's going to affect me, especially in my education. Uh, also uh, apart from tuition and apart from student loans, there also, I've also done some research on the budget. So I'll be hitting a range of different topics that affect young Canadians, uh, not just those to do with students. So in my research, I found that during the pandemic, young Canadians had the most job loss and the worst mental health decline out of all the age demographics. Now, I know personally for myself that switching to online school certainly had its challenges, uh, and it changed up a lot of plans that I had made for my second year of school. So I'm not surprised at all that there are others that have been in the same boat throughout this whole experience and probably had a more difficult time as well due to the pandemic as I was thankfully not too affected with online school, though some people absolutely were. So along that same vein of thought, I thought we can start off by saying with young Canadians having such a harder time finding work due to the pandemic, what do you think the budget 2021 is going to do to financially help post-secondary students pay for their education? Well, Harkarn, uh, first of all, great to have you on and uh, uh, ask me questions. It's uh, always great to have people that are affected by this be the ones asking the questions. Great to be uh, here. <laughs> thank you. So we're bringing forth a lot of financial aid for students in this budget. Uh, to begin with, uh, because it's a pandemic, uh, we're waiving interest in student loans for yet another year. As we had done uh, in the year uh, 2020, we're doing the same for 2021. Uh, the second thing that we're doing is with uh, students with income that is less than or equal to $40,000 a year, they're not re required to make any payments back. So unless you're making $40,000 or more, you're not expected to be paying back your student loans. So that's gonna help a lot of people. Another thing that we're doing is we're doubling the available Canadian student grants to assist with education costs. So when you apply for student loans, you have a grant portion of it. So we're doubling that amount and, and that availability. So that'll hopefully help a lot of students uh, in their base uh, expenses. Uh, the 
the other thing we're doing is extending disability support to non-permanent student disabilities. So those that are having disabilities but they may not be permanent so uh, they can get some assistance uh, during uh, uh, the time that they're studying. Apart from financial aid, we are also looking to invest a historic $1.2 billion over five years, $181.8 million ongoing into education infrastructure in Indigenous communities. So we are, uh, we are investing in Canadians and investing particularly in students because uh, we know to have a, a vital and robust economy, we have to invest in their, uh, uh, in their sectors, uh, particularly in post-secondary education. 150 million over two years will go to Indigenous people's post-secondary student support. We've all known that um, those in the Indigenous communities have uh, had a disproportionate amount of uh, students entering post-secondary, a lot of due to opportunities or distancing, so we're trying to help that out. All right, thank you MP Sarai. I know that was a lot you've just explained there, so I'm going to try and take each thing point by point and sort of break down some of the questions I have. Uh, but you mentioned at the beginning that the loans in 2020 were waived as well, so they didn't have to make payments, uh, interest, sorry, did not accumulate in 2020, as well as the next year for 2021 is now going to happen. So why exactly did that start in 2020 and what's the necessity in 2021? Sure. So, uh, look, we uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, uh, one out of uh, three Canadians were, were severely affected by it. Eight million people were on CERB. Uh, um, the largest contraction of the economy occurred. Uh, he went from the lowest unemployment rate in, in Canadian history to, to one of the highest double-digit um, uh, unemployment rates. So we knew that the hardest, most hardest affected were students who didn't have full-time jobs or were going to be expecting them in the summer of last year and, and the fall or some were expecting co-op positions. So they lost a lot of opportunities. So uh, therefore, uh, their ability to start paying back those student loans uh, was, was going to be challenged. And we therefore, in light of that, we uh, not only eliminated the interest on it, but also eliminated the responsibility to pay that back uh, any payments uh, uh, until uh, the pandemic was over. And that's why this uh, 2021, it is also waived as the pandemic is still ongoing. I also noticed you said that for people making less or equal to $40,000, they're not going to be required to make payments. So obviously that's great and that goes along with the uh, non-interest accumulation now as well. So both interest won't accumulate and students won't have to make payments? Absolutely. So until you basically get your first meaningful job uh, uh, making 40000 or more, uh, you won't have to make any payments and uh, there's no interest accumulated during that time. Once you make that, because now we know you've got a full-time uh, job and most likely in the field of your choice and you're able to make uh, payments back, uh, uh, then payments will resume and that's uh, the $40,000 threshold. Honestly, that's excellent. Obviously, for full-time students like myself, I know I personally could definitely not take on a meaningful job at the moment while I'm studying. So, All right, so you also mentioned that you're going to be investing $181 million into education infrastructure for Indigenous communities. So could you just describe why exactly Indigenous communities are getting this chunk of money and what's it sort of going to go towards and uh, how is it going to necessarily help these communities? Sure, so the $181 million is more for uh, education infrastructure. Obviously, a lot of Indigenous communities are in remote areas. Uh, they face a lot of systemic challenges, physical challenges uh, to, to reach post-secondary education. Uh, and sometimes they just don't get the opportunities that 
other Canadians do, and it's our obligation to to give them the infrastructure, give them the support, give them the incentives, so that they can get a meaningful education uh, and and reach the same opportunities that everyone else has. And that's why we felt that there is some additional infrastructure dollars uh, that need to be uh, put into the uh, post-secondary education system, and that's what the 181 million will go towards. Moving on to uh, my next little segment, I, I'd said earlier that young Canadians had the most job losses out of any age group as well. So what exactly can the federal government actually do to address this? And what is Budget 2021 specifically trying to do uh, by allocating any sort of money towards these issues? Thank you, Arkarn. So uh, as I said earlier, the two of the groups that got disproportionately uh, hit hard by the pandemic were uh, women, uh, C, it was considered a C-session, and, and young people. They're the two, uh, uh, two groups that got hit very hard. Okay. So part of Budget 2021 was created to help uh, those that are most effective, including creating uh, 50,000 student work placement uh, jobs. Uh, it's called the Student Work Placement Program. It's a work integrated learning opportunity, so for post-secondary. Wage subsidy for businesses that hire the students, similar to the Canada Summer Jobs Program. In addition, we're doing 7,000 additional job placements through the Youth Employment and Skills Strategy. Uh, and then the wonderful program that every MP loves uh, and uh, we see the, f- the fruit that it bears uh, all around us in a riding and that's the, uh, an additional 75,000 Canada Summer Jobs program opportunities. So a total of 220,000 summer jobs over the next two years will result as a, uh, because of these three programs. And this, uh, this is on top of uh, $708 million over five years to the MyTax uh, program to create 85,000 work-oriented learning opportunities. And then we also uh, know that not everyone does uh, you know, normal post-secondary education. They do apprenticeship programs. So we're doing, giving $470 million over three years uh, to create 55,000 apprentice positions, red seals. So that's 5,000 to employers to cover upfront costs. So uh, when their employee goes to do their Red Seal program and 10,000 if they're underrepresented person that they hire. So uh, if they hire somebody from the indigenous community, uh, other communities that are underrepresented, uh, we give an additional incentive of 5,000. So an employer will help them and assist them in getting their uh, Red Seal. You mentioned that you're adding 75,000 jobs to the Canada Summer Jobs Program, uh, but that's being added to the previous jobs that were already there. So could you just explain a bit about what Canada Summer Jobs Program actually is and what it's been in the past, essentially? Because I see, like you mentioned, it's, it's being expanded now. Sure. So uh, the Canada Summer Jobs Program has been around for a while, but uh, ever since 2015, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took on and created the, the, the Ministry of Youth, which was the first time ever Canada had ever a Minister of Youth, and the Prime Minister took that role himself. Uh, he doubled the program at the time, and, and since then has increased it even more, and, and now even more than that. So it's a program whereby uh, nonprofits and community groups can apply for uh, funding to hire students during the summer. Uh, typically, they're paid 100% of minimum wage uh, through the government. Government pays the nonprofit, and they're able to hire. And it traditionally used to be a summer program only. Uh, we've expanded it uh, because of the pandemic to run through uh, the summer and fall. Um, 
to help uh, this year in, in getting a lot of youth opportunities and helping those that were affected by the pandemic be able to hire. It also helps for-profits. For-profits uh, typically get 50% of the uh, Canada Summer Jobs funding. So if it's minimum wage is $15 an hour, they get $7.50. So uh, the government funds half a position. Uh, and this year we increased that to 75% to match it kind of with the wage subsidy we were giving employers anyway. So that enticed a lot of the uh, uh, for-profit businesses to also take up uh, Canada Summer Jobs uh, in this time. And we also made it a little bit more liberal. It used to be uh, for students, only students. Now it's 15, anybody aged 15 to 30. So even if you've recently graduated from school, you're covered by, by this program as well. I wanted to also go back to the apprenticeship. So you said that there's going to be 470 million over three years for 55,000 new apprenticeship positions, and that would be Red Seals. But along with that, you mentioned that it's going to be $5,000 to employees, uh, sorry, employers to cover upfront costs and $10,000 if an underrepresented person is hired. So you had mentioned previously that women and young Canadians are the most disproportionately affected, but here it's also underrepresented people. So what would sort of classify as an underrepresented people? And is this sort of the solution to those disproportionately affected people? Look, we're trying to entice uh, more and more people to, to get into well-paying trades, uh, middle-class jobs. Typically, a lot of these require red seals uh, when they get fully qualified. And what we've seen uh, to encourage women, uh, encourage underrepresented groups like Indigenous uh, communities, Black communities, uh, um, other immigrant communities, uh, people from the LGBTQ community, uh, that there's, there's blocks, there's barriers. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, getting them enticed to it. Uh, otherwise, it, it might not be uh, something they've traditionally thought of. So therefore, we're we're giving employers an incentive uh, so everyone will get $5,000 to cover kind of upfront costs, uh, time off from work, etc. And then for those that are in the underrepresented category, they get another top up of $5,000 so it'll entice them. We have a lot of large bridge and uh, pipe pro uh, projects, pipe fitting and gas fitting and and welding, etc., and to entice uh, uh, some other groups to make it more equitable, uh, more incentives needed to be given, and I think that's where we followed through. Uh, these are some of the things, and I've seen some of the effects even before in our previous incarnations where I saw more women taking, for example, bricklaying, that's uh, not a typical career choice that uh, you would see women in, but because mm -hmm. their red seal was paid or their uh, cost for training was paid, they, they were enticed to, uh, to take it up. I do want to uh, also touch on the topic of digital adoption. So obviously with education, young Canadians going into post-secondary education, there is a lot of uh, computer science and computer technologies that are being studied. Uh, along with that, businesses across BC, I'm aware, are trying to expand their digital uh, presence, trying to expand their marketplace to the digital environment. And I'm wondering as well, I noticed that in Budget 2021, there are some things allocated specifically towards uh, digital adoption, creating jobs uh, for businesses, creating jobs for students that are working in a digital space. So could you touch on those sort of ideas as well? Sure. So from the digital adoption program, we're trying to do 
help create 28,000 jobs, uh, particularly for young people to match with small to medium-sized businesses, SMEs, to improve the digitization of businesses, so i.e. restaurants and cabinet manufacturers and uh, plumbing shops and any other business, you know, how, how can they get a website up and running? How can they right, get social right. media? How can they become uh, more competitive as, you know, uh, traditional means like a Yellow Pages or a phone book are not being used now? Right. How do you get your presence known? Uh, so this uh, grant program and uh, will kind of pair and help more and more young people come and do what's very easy for them, but maybe daunting for uh, small and medium-sized enterprises to create oh. a website, to uh, share their domain, to to use shareables and and increase their presence on social media and different platforms. Uh, that's the type of work that we're doing. So this will create a lot of those job opportunities, but at the same time help our uh, small and medium-sized enterprises. Right. We're also doing um, a program I really like. It's called the Can Code program. It's uh, we're expanding it to three million students. Uh, and we're doing also for 120,000 more students in elementary and secondary schools. So this is a program to teach coding from a young age to older ages. Uh, I've seen it in work. Uh, uh, here in high school and in elementary school. It's pretty impressive uh, to see uh, um, elementary ki age kids uh, learning to code, uh, uh, learning to make their own little games and uh, uh, work robotic vehicles and, and create codes for the robotic vehicles to do things. Uh, so as we get them young, it's just like learning another language, uh, uh, coding is a type of language that uh, young people can absorb very quickly. And hopefully we can get more and more people excited into fields of STEM. Uh, science and technology uh, uh, so, and mathematics and then we can get more girls uh, to get into that field as well uh, that we will be an expanded economy we'll be able to be a, a very uh, creative economy and we'll have the workforce that's needed for the jobs of the future. Now it's interesting you mentioned STEM and, and this sort of digital work coding all these sort of jobs sort of fit into a digital marketplace but from your experience obviously with uh, with the economy, understanding the job makeup of Canada. I know for any student, job security is important. And for these people who are studying computer science, studying coding, do you think that Canada is expanding its digital uh, workforce and is it a prevalent sector that is going to be growing in the future? Or do you think that's sort of, uh, you know, we, we're familiar with the term brain drain, going to the US or going to other countries. Do you think Canada is securing its tech sector in that way? Or is it sort of filtering out? Uh, good question. I, I think we had a brain drain prior uh, uh, where a lot of opportunities and Canadians were moving down south. I think the opposite is happening now. Uh, Microsoft has opened a development center right here in, in uh, Lower Mainland, uh, 800 plus. I think it's over a thousand people now creating uh, apps and uh, for phones and, and software for for people around the world. Uh, Google's opened up. Amazon's opening 6,000 employee center out here. Uh, so not just a distribution, but they're actual like a big headquarter-like uh, right. uh, facility. A lot of small and uh, medium-sized uh, uh, tech companies have opened. And in fact, if memory serves me right, I think in British Columbia alone, there's 7,500 plus vacant jobs for the tech sector. Oh, uh, wow. So there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, we've had a few unicorns as well uh, uh, get created right here. Uh, so we're now more uh, the environment. And I, I asked this question to the uh, 
the head of Microsoft for Canada, and I, I asked him why they opened a development center uh, right here in Vancouver, and he said it actually has uh, three of the ingredients they look they look for to, to create a development center, and they only have six around the world. They may have had one more now, uh, but as far as I know, there were six. And he said one is um, advanced education uh, institutes, so they can train and retrain. So we had one of the best uh, post-secondary education hubs uh, for uh, IT. So we have great universities, great um, uh, technology institutes like BCIT, uh, uh, Polytechs, uh, uh, great colleges. Uh, the second part, they said you have a very uh, easy immigration system. So when they need talent that might not be available in Canada, it's actually able to attracted to Canada, so right. uh, opposite of the brain drain, attracting uh, brilliant talent for around the world. Our immigration policies can bring talent within three weeks uh, mm -hmm. to Canada, so that would, uh, uh, th those helped them a lot. And the third thing was multiculturalism, and, and I thought that was a little cheesy uh, remark that they were saying it more for uh, to, to appease our political <laughs> interests. Right. However, when I asked how does that help them, they said, well, when we create software, when we create in Vancouver, we can actually beta tested or tested for markets around the world. Uh, so it's not just for, uh, so there's a significant enough population to see would this software or this application work in, in a market in India? Would it work in a market in China? Would mm. it work in a market in, in Europe? Right. Uh, would it work in Latin America? They have enough uh, of those communities right here so they don't have to have it tested out there or sent out so they can attract and learn about what words might not be used on a software that might be relevant in one culture but not in the other, uh, what might be a block that would happen if they launched it in China versus Canada uh, or versus Latin America. So they say with a multicultural society, it's very easy to test those products. So they thought of these three things as attributes that uh, give it a good reason to have those uh, development centers right here. And I think that's proven successful uh, in, in, in maintaining talent and growing talent. That's actually incredible. I obviously the multiculturalism that's showcased in something like BC, uh, Surrey and Vancouver specifically, especially, uh, it's, it's unique to the global stage altogether. So the fact that companies such as Microsoft, such as these big names are taking advantage of multiculturalism, it's something I'd never even thought about, but it's very impressive. Yeah, especially in like a high tech sector, it's not something you would normally think that that's something prevalent, but right. um, it absolutely is. So they say if they make a software, they can test it here before they actually launch it in, in one of those countries because they have a, a significant diaspora from there right here and they're able to do it. But when before. you say right here, are you mentioning Vancouver or are you mentioning something like Canada, which would include the G GTA area? Yeah, I, I think Canada has been very lucky. I think we have where our mosaic is pretty uh, strong in most of our metropolitan areas, uh, right. whether it's the GTA, uh, uh, Greater Vancouver, mm -hmm. or even places like Calgary, uh, which are quite cosmopolitan as well, mm -hmm. uh, or even the island of Montreal is, is quite uh, qu quite diverse. So I think a lot of the main hubs where a lot of this stuff is done, they are, are very diverse. But I can definitely tell you about Lower Mainland. Right. I mean, being a Lower Mainland person myself, it's uh, that's definitely interesting to hear. Can't speak to the other places I haven't been, but I'm glad to hear that's happening here. That being said, I wanted to move on to my last topic, and that would be about mental health. So again, at the beginning, I had mentioned that both job loss was greatest for our cohort, of age cohort, and for young Canadians, mental health decline was greatest as well. So how does Budget 2021 address that sort of 
very drastic decline in mental health. And uh, what's that going to do for the coming years to make a lasting impact that won't just revert? Sure. So mental health has been uh, surprisingly a, a very big issue, uh, specifically amongst young people. Uh, my own constituency youth council a couple of years back did a survey uh, of, uh, of students right here in Surrey Centre, and it was one of the top three uh, areas of concern for them. Uh, oh, wow. And I was pretty shocked to see that you know young people are one of their biggest worries is mental health and or biggest concerns or issues of the year, uh, and especially being in the top three. I'm sorry, that was from your writing? Um, my writing, yes. My constituency youth council did a, a kind of a broader, it wasn't just the the, the, the the pool of cohorts were probably from all over Surrey. Okay. But they had, about, they had uh, well over 2,000 responses. Right. And uh, uh, mental health remained in the top. And at the end, when they accumulated, it was the top three, wow. uh, one of the top three issues. Um, and, and, and for Canada itself, it's been a top uh, top issue. I remember in our first health accord, uh, our first health transfer and health deal with British Columbia and other provinces in British Columbia, uh, a top up of about 680 million was given over five years for the BC government for mental health. Right. Uh, so this is ongoing. It's about to, I think, be renewed this year, uh, that, that, that health accord. Um, when it comes to budget 2021, uh, we've committed over $100 million over three years for innovative health, uh, mental health programs. So uh, frontline, healthcare, youth, seniors, Indigenous people, racialized, and Black Canadians. Uh, so this is the kind of how normally the, 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 the health uh, and mental health falls under health, which is a provincial domain. But what we're, we're trying to do is, is uh, create some innovative ways to reach some of those services or give platforms for some of those services to those that uh, are most effective, most in need, and don't have the normal accesses. Uh, so in this year, obviously, because the pandemic, frontline workers have had a, a barrage of, of stress and, and, and burdens on them and probably seen stuff they otherwise would not have uh, while taking care of many COVID patients and otherwise. Right. So they're at the healthcare workers, frontline workers. And then others like youth uh, that might have been worrying about their future. They don't have the first year university and it's done out of the room of your house. Uh, uh, you're supposed to be graduating and getting an, a job and there's no job to apply for or, 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 or get. Right. Uh, and then Indigenous people, racialized communities and Black Canadians have always struggled uh, and a lot of the barriers, whether um, uh, systemic or otherwise, uh, had have caused them to uh, suffer from mental health disproportionately. So we need to get those programs and the services available to them so that's where uh, that money is being done is being put in then there's also funding for a kids helpline which uh, we've done previously and we've extended that to 2021-22 this is to continue counseling services over a phone line uh, for those under 18 uh, during the pandemic so we know a lot of people are uh, working from home children are working from home uh, instead of going to school or uh, not able to go out and but a lot of stress is compounded they may be in dysfunctional homes they may have family violence at home they may be just dealing with regular pressures that a kid has uh, but because they can't talk to their friends or be with their friends it's compounding so uh, this is a, a way that they uh, can speak to somebody and especially those that live in remote and uh, rural communities it helps them a lot more all right just to touch on the the innovative mental health programs that you mentioned so obviously the federal government 
doesn't necessarily run these programs, but this hundred million that's being allocated, those are going to be going towards investing in existing programs or also to sort of spur the new programs to come in, into play. And as part of that question, sort of, are there already hot lists made for programs that you believe or the government believes would be effective during this time? So usually what would happen in a, in a situation like this is uh, uh, once the budget gets uh, final approval and, and the budget actually gets approved, uh, those departments would be notified. So in this case, uh, uh, health would be notified and, and perhaps uh, the Ministry of Youth under uh, Minister Bertie Chagger. They would then develop programs uh, to say, hey, or have calls for proposal and have different groups be able to reach out and apply for money and how they'll help reach the targeted audience with those mental health supports. So that's usually the, the way we, we attract it because we can't invent everything and there's a lot of uh, great talent and great brains and great minds in Canada that can develop those ideas and then they'll ap apply for that funding and that's where that money would go. So lastly, I wanted to touch on a topic that especially the youth, but I think nowadays all Canadians at this point are championing this idea of climate change and how Canada is working to combat this, uh, something that's so prevalent in every facet of our society. Um, and every day, every day I look at a car, I think, oh God, it's guzzling gas. But at that, I wanted to ask you, how is budget 2021 addressing climate change? Uh, and where are these lasting investments going to be going? Uh, great question. Uh, climate change is, is probably the number one issue uh, for Canadians uh, nationally, uh, regardless of age group. Uh, we're committing to over $17.6 billion in additional event investments towards a, a, a green economy. Uh, this is everything from transition to retrofits to uh, planting more trees. Uh, uh, two billion trees. Uh, this is to uh, a very robust 700,000 homes. We know that 18% of greenhouse gases are, uh, are contributed from buildings and homes. Uh, so how can we make them more efficient, um, more environmentally uh, friendly? So just for example, in that program, it'll create 2,000 new jobs to have climate advisors that uh, could come and assess your home and the government would pay for that assessment. Uh, and then the subsequent upgrades, whether it's changing your windows, adding insulation, or putting solar panels on your roof, uh, or upgrading your furnace, uh, would be paid uh, with a share of up to $5,000 from the federal government. So this would, these are little micro things that would help and be visible and tangible to every single Canadian. Um, the other thing is creating more incentives and transition for the oil sector employees to get out of a oil dependent economy, is particularly those in the prairies, to a uh, clean tech, clean uh, energy uh, uh, economies. Uh, so this is the type of commitment we want to do. We also want to reduce greenhouse emissions, not just by 30% for the Paris Accord but targets, but to 40-45%. Uh, so these are aggressive targets. Uh, um, they're not going to come easy. They're going to take a lot of work and, and effort. And uh, you'll be seeing more and more programs under these uh, climate change initiatives under the 17.6 billion uh, that will create not only create hundreds of thousands of jobs, but also take a huge chunks of carbon uh, out of the air, uh, whether it's through carbon capture, whether it's through carbon reduction, whether it's through alternative energy, uh, this is the way of the future. 
So I guess my last question in regards to climate change would be similar to my digital tech question and how the coding industry uh, or the digital industry within Canada is growing and whether that's future-proofed here. Are we seeing the same sort of thing for clean technology being produced within Canada and then exported across the world? Or are we again seeing Canada importing those sort of things from other countries and taking the backseat in its development? No, good question. So one of the things we're doing just like for tech, we did accelerators and funded accelerators. We're doing $8 billion for a net zero accelerator fund. Uh, this program is intended to kind of help decarbonize the Canadian industrial sector. So uh, to fund uh, Canadian technologies, Canadian ideas, Canadian research uh, that'll help reduce um, uh, the carbon footprint of industries. Let's say concrete, for example. Concrete's a big uh, emitter right, of energy right. but when concrete is made, when cement is made. Uh, how any uh, different uh, different technologies will either trap the carbon inside the cement or whether it's uh, how cement, the heat uh, used to produce it can be reduced. Uh, those that come up with the ideas will be given funding and to uh, accelerate and incubate uh, those technologies. So that's $8 billion is right there. The other is... Um, uh, transit, so 15 billion towards transit. You know, the the more we can take people out of um, gas guzzling vehicles into uh, energy efficient buses, uh, SkyTrain, LRT, um, rapid transit uh, type means, uh, the the less pollution we emit from our vehicles and uh, the less of a carbon footprint we do. So these are two big initiatives that we would be doing. Uh, uh, there's another incentive that companies that uh, create net zero technologies. They will uh, not have to pay, uh, they'd have to pay half the corporate, federal corporate tax that they would creating anything else. So anyone that oh, wow. creates net zero technologies, net zero um, uh, industries would uh, have a reduction in their corporate taxes by half. And we're hoping with all these combined efforts, we will be able to spawn a lot of new technologies and be able to accelerate the speed of which we can reduce our uh, climate uh, footprint. MP Sarai, thank you so much for answering all these questions. I believe that's it in terms of young Canadians. I know you're going to be going on in the subsequent weeks and talking about different parts of Budget 2021. But personally, thank you very much for addressing young Canadians and all the aspects that pertain to them. Uh, it was a joy to ask you all these questions. I know I had to throw you a few curveballs. I hope none too crazy. But you answered great, and uh, I really appreciate you taking out the time uh, and doing this for me and students and young Canadians in a similar position to I. Well, thank you, Harkarn. Always a pleasure. It's always fun to to do a, a, have a discussion with young people, uh, whether that's my youth council, uh, talking to a high school or university class, uh, or talking to you. So it's always a pleasure, and uh, uh, feel free to come back on the show, and uh, we'll do this again. I'll take you up on that. Thank you, and uh, that's the end of uh, Randeep's in the House uh, for this podcast. Episode 2.